Hey, and welcome to the Unbox Your Gift podcast, how to turn your passion into a profession. In this particular podcast episode, I want you to eavesdrop into a conversation that I had with Dr. Ellis Jones, who is the founder of BetterWorldShopper.org. That's BetterWorldShopper.org, and this is why it's important for you and I. Every three to four years, you and I vote for a prime minister or a president, depending on where we live in the world. One day, Dr. Ellis Jones was teaching his students at the college that he's, he, um, he works at, and one of his students raised her hand and asked him, how can she help the world, the state of the world, at a grassroots level? Like, what can she do on a daily basis, rather than just donate? Donations are great, but what can she do every day? And Dr. Jones didn't have an answer for that. But it got him thinking, and it got him thinking deeply enough to create the Better World Shopper Guide. And what it is, is that he's gone out and done the research on companies from automobiles to makeup to shoes to you name it. And he's comparing companies on human rights, the environment, animal protection, community involvement, and social justice. And he takes a look at every single company and looks at exactly where they stand on these five foundational and fundamental aspects of human survival. And so you can actually go onto this betterworldshopper.org and look at every time you purchase a car, any time you purchase a brand of drink, makeup, you'll see exactly what your money is actually supporting. Is it supporting human rights, the environment, social justice, animal protection, community involvement? Because what he's actually done is is encouraging companies to actually raise their standards and up level into you know really serving and justifying their existence by you know really upholding the means for human rights and the environment etc but it's also it's also allowing you and I when we every time we make a purchase because our vote now becomes with our wallet any time we make a purchase we are voting for or against we are voting for the belief what the company stands for, what that brand uh, is the ambassador for, what they actually promote and what do they protect. And as we're voting with our wallets, that's where our biggest and most grassroots movements can be made. And Dr. Ellis Jones has spelled it out for us, has done it, has, does all the hard work for us. And in this interview, I created this interview for a summit uh, called the Monetize Your Mission Summit. But I thought it would be an excellent value add for those who, to show you exactly a passion of Dr. Ellis Jones. He just, a student asked him a question and he became obsessed with that question to find how he could find a solution to help his students. And not only does it help his students, it's helping at a grassroots level and helping the greater good in the community and the world. And that's how he turned it into a profession. So listen in about how Dr. Ellis Jones turned a question from one of his students into his profession, and by the same time in doing so, created the greater good. Listen in. G'day, everyone. Welcome to Monetize Your Mission. I'm your host, Rita Joyan, founder of the Dream Job Blueprint and the Speaking Success System. And today I've got a guest that I have been looking forward to interviewing for a really, really long time. And, and here's why. He's the founder and author of a system, a guide called betterworldshopper.org. That's betterworldshopper.org. And what it is, it looks at, and I'm going to get Dr. Jones himself to explain it. What it is, is looking at the companies 
on the planet who contribute and those who don't based on human rights, the environment, animal protection, community involvement, and social justice. It's allowing us to look at not just voting with our politicians every four years for a president or every three years for a prime minister, but it's voting every day with our wallets based on the decisions we make of what we want to purchase. And for that reason, today my guest is Dr. Ellis Jones, who is the Assistant Professor of Department of Sociology and Anthropology in the College of the Holy Cross. And he's obviously the founder, author, and an incredible human being who has created this system called betterworldshopper.org. And Dr. Jones, I'm really completely in awe of you. So please, thank you for joining us and welcome to Monetize Your Mission. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here, Rita. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm going to go hit it because I've got a lot to cover with yourself because what you, your work covers such an incredible amount of breadth and depth and it impacts our lives on a day-to-day basis. So before Better World Chopper was born, what were you doing and how did you get to where you are right now publishing something that talks about what's good or bad for our planet based on what companies are doing? That's a great question. Uh, so when I was a graduate student um, at the University of Colorado Boulder, I was studying sociology, and um, I started getting questions from my students, uh, in particular because in my courses I would tell them about all these various problems that we're confronting in the 21st century, and that we need to be doing something about them. And their question was, "Well, wh- what can I do? I want to do something." And so I had been thinking ever since I was an undergraduate that I, I wanted somebody to write a book about this. Uh, I found the environmental movement in the U.S. in, in 1990 uh, to be totally captivating in the way that they had taken a social movement and they had made it into something practical, something small, unlike any other movement. You didn't have to go to the meeting. You didn't have to join in uh, and quit your job. You could access through recycling. You could access through, you know, composting. You could access through buying, you know, green products, et cetera. And so what I did was I was waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody to take the kind of genius of the environmental movement and turn it into an access point for all of the social and environmental problems that we face. It never came about. I got so frustrated after 10 years that I decided, well, I have to write it. Mm. So I tried. I tried to write my first book, and I couldn't do it. And so I recruited two of my best friends who thought it was a great idea and had never written anything. And we wrote a book called The Better World Handbook, which is maybe a three to 400-page book that that, um, compiles all of the ways an individual can make the world a better place around all of the issues that you'd mentioned. Now, out of that book, which I, at the time I thought was the kind of be-all and end-all of my career uh, as a graduate student, uh, that book, there were two pages in that book out of 400 pages that almost all of the feedback from readers came to me um, surrounding these two pages. And it was two pages on shopping. Now, this book had been written about family, what you can do with your family, what you can do with travel, what you can do with your money, what you can do with politics, what you can do, you know, everything. Two pages on shopping. And I thought, there's something going on here if uh, readers really want something with these two pages. So I began to consider 
what I could do. These were two pages that ranked companies from, from poor to excellent, you know, ice cream companies and soda companies based on the data that we had available. So I took those two pages and I decided to do an in-depth project. And all I did was put myself in the shoes of the average consumer and say, if someone had time, how would they go about researching this? They would go all over the internet. They would go to every nonprofit that they could get a hold of that tracked these issues. They would pull it all together and try to make sense of all of this information in a way that was clear and fair and thoughtful. And they wouldn't just do one issue, they would pull in all of the issues that consumers seem to care about. So I did this for a number of years and I came up with this Better World Shopper project. And I began producing these books every couple of years called the Better World Shopping Guide and this website called Better World Shopper. And this is what really took off. This is where um, the average person began to kind of write to me and began to kind of buy the books and go online uh, and even donate out of nowhere to this project because I had hit a nerve um, based on something that people really needed in the world. That's incredible. That's in, it all started with questions from your students. Yeah. About how to be involved. What can I do? And that led you to re- write a book, which you felt you couldn't do. Then you recruited two friends and that will kind of, I guess, molded into itself by putting together these guides and then you will get, you're getting feedback and there you have it. You know that you're onto something. I mean, in, in essence, all of this was about listening. Mm-hmm. At first, you know, I was listening to, um, you know, what this movement had to offer. And then I was listening to my friends helping me and the feedback of readers. And every time that I printed an edition of the book, readers have been the ones who communicated with me and said, oh, you know, we need something on cell phones. We need something on outdoor gear. We need something on travel. You know, and so I'd create new categories. I, would, I kept listening. And, and the more I listened to the people who contacted me, the more I feel like I was able to nail down um, a kind of powerful um, system that was really mapping more and more what was on the ground and really addressed, you know, people's daily lives where they were at. And so you were doing this, Dr. Jones, whilst you were still a professor at the current college that you're working in? No, in fact, I started this project um, when I was a professor at a community college in California, in Northern California. I later went on to do part-time teaching at the University of California, Davis. So this, in some ways, was always um, kind of my passionate work, uh, as well as teaching. Now, all combined, they could kind of start to um, pay the bills. And um, what I found was uh, that the more time I spent on this project, the more that the project would give back to me and the more that um, readers would give back to me. In fact, you know, uh, the last couple of years, I've started having people, I'm not a nonprofit, so I can't offer any um, tax write-offs for people who would, you know, make donations. You know, I've had people just write me checks out of nowhere. Um, because they feel so passionate about the work that I am doing um, and, and how needed it is. And I, and I kind of feel like, again, the work isn't about me. It's about kind of seeing this gap in the world that someone needs to fill. 
And I'm just kind of like, a, in some ways, this placeholder trying to address this like enormous need out there for people to be able to show up in a supermarket, to go online, mm -hmm. to go anywhere, and to know who the good guys and the bad guys are, who they should vote for every day with their dollars, who, what is happening to this money that we're spending on a daily basis, and how do we do it so that it makes the world better? I love that. And so just to draw back in that, Dr. Jones, you were actually working full time as well as or working in another job at the same time working on this passion project of Better World Chopper. Well, in fact, I actually left my full time position at the community college um, to take a part time position in teaching at a university. And it was when I was doing that part time work and I'd really was actually quite dissatisfied in some ways with my original full-time position that I found this kind of passion. I kind of reignited this passion uh, about this work that I had started based on the earlier book. And it was that kind of part-time that allowed me to open up this space for this passion. And in fact, I mean, the irony is, of course, is that I thought for the longest time what I would be doing is this project with part-time teaching. But what happened was academia finally caught up this thing that I had been doing for a long, such a long time now has a name. You know, corporate social responsibility had been the name for a long time since the, since the 1980s, but they hadn't considered consumers legitimate in this field. And now we have something called ethical consumerism. It has a huge body of literature across all kinds of academic fields. And so now the work that I was doing back then, which was considered not really legitimate in academia, is considered legitimate and in fact has helped me get the position that I now have, which is a full-time position as an assistant professor, um, because the field is now something that is legitimate to kind of study and research and, and teach about. Yeah, it's the real deal. Absolutely. Right. And so, because this is what's interesting, Dr. Jones, is that when you, because just to let, let everyone listeners know that, Dr. Jones, his actual manual, his guide, he ranks companies based on, in his own words, the good guys and the bad guys, the good people and the bad people, based on those five categories of human rights, environment, animal protection, community involvement, and social justice. So he takes each company, a toothpaste company, a sugar company, a car dealership, whatever brand it might be, and he ranks them based on those five elements. Dr. Jones, how did you, number one, why those particular five elements? Because there are other elements you could focus on. Number one, why those ones? And how do you research them? Good questions. So originally, uh, as I was trying to organize this, uh, this approach, I started to look at what consumers were already demanding. Again, this is a process of listening. So I knew consumers wanted green products. That was the environmental piece. And then I also knew there were certifications out there that people were interested in, in which certain items are not tested on animals or don't use animal ingredients. So I knew there was a piece involving animals. I also knew that people were interested in buying local and buying independent and having money stay in their communities and really like help communities rather than going off to kind of big, you know, international or uh, uh, corporations, faceless corporations. So I knew there was a community piece. And I knew that there was this thing called fair trade that dealt with human rights abroad. And I knew that people were interested in companies that support women or don't have a history of discrimination based on race or religion, et cetera. And so I knew all of those pieces were in a sense informed by what consumers were already demanding. 
as well as what social movements I saw out there. Remember, the original movement that inspired me, the environmental movement, was just one of many that I knew were out there. And so this was a way of organizing all the work of all these kind of uh, environmental and social justice type movements together, as well as all the demands of consumers into kind of five categories to make them kind of somewhat easy to remember. And then this was the, the lens that I used to kind of look out into the world of data that tracks corporations based on these five elements. Now, each of these elements is broken down to, you know, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 elements, sub-elements each. So, you know, the environment has all kinds of things, climate change and pollution and, mm. and it's all kinds of stuff in there. And human rights can have sweatshops and it can have, you know, child labor and all kinds of little pieces there. And so what I would do is I went from nonprofit to nonprofit uh, and I looked at where they, their work was ranking companies and where they were rating companies and saying, this company gets an award and this one gets the demerit because you know, they, they aren't doing well in this area. And I just went kind of nonprofit by nonprofit. I went through government data for the US government and I looked at their data, particularly EPA data or Environmental Protection Agency data about environmental records. And there are a handful of private sources of data that, that are like not for profit companies that, that really try to track um, different aspects of what these companies are doing. And all of the data that I look at is all publicly available, so it can be verified by people. This is very important mm. to have a transparency ele element to it so that anybody could replicate this research if they had the time and energy. Um, and so I just spent all of my time and energy putting it together to allow people more space to be able to move forward with their lives and to be able to kind of look at this and think about their own relationship to these companies around the world and what their dollars are funding and how we can reshape the way the world works by reshaping how we spend our dollars. Yeah, I really love that because I, I recall when I first heard of betterworldshopper.org, I actually changed my, I didn't even number one realize that there were such catastrophes in corporations and how they use child labor for for example in chocolate had no idea until i read better world shopper and then i look reevaluated my decisions of just buying something like a chocolate bar because one company is fine with incorporating child labor whereas another one is completely not going to go into that realm at all and so that affected my decisions and it was all because of better world shopper which is incredible and so tell me dr jones what is your mission, your personal mission? Because obviously it takes a lot of time, energy for you to do all of this. What's your mission behind this? So the mission, well, the mission is twofold. I think primarily, I, in some ways, what I would like to do is work myself out of a job. Uh, I would like some, somebody to take over at some point, like a government agency to take this on. I think this is important work and it goes much beyond me. So I want to... I want to be able to hand it off at some point. Wow. Um, so, th so that's a kind of kind of an overarching idea that it, this is again, it's not about me. It's about having this institution. This, but but the major idea behind Better World Shopper is much larger than than the project itself. The idea is that as human beings, we have created in the realm of politics this thing called democracy. And it seems to work pretty well. It has all kinds of problems and flaws and it stumbles often and it's difficult to work with, but it really has helped us move forward, I think, in the world to a more just, a more fair world. 
And I, and I think those lessons can be applied and, and should be and must be applied to the economic realm. Because I think more than ever, we see how economics really has begun to take over every aspect of our own lives, aspects of our uh, political world, aspects of how the world runs in general. And so we need to understand that the lessons that we have learned from democracy about how to keep power accountable need to be applied to the economic world. And so in a sense, what I'm trying to do is open the door to allow people to see that we need an economic form of democracy, that we need to take these lessons from the political and move them to the world of economics so that we aren't always worried about, you know, the global economy doing X, Y, or Z, or creating more problems than it solves, et cetera, because we now control it. We now are thoughtful enough to be able to kind of use our economic muscle to reshape this global economy so that it consistently generates a better world for um, the most people possible uh, and uh, from year to year. And, you know, in the U.S., for example, it's something like two-thirds of the economy, it's estimated, is run by consumer dollars. So this is not an impossible goal. This is the kind of heart of one of the largest economic engines in the world here. And I don't know what the statistics are for every country, but it, it means that we have all of this untapped power, that we, if we were only conscious of it and only began to use it properly, that we could open up this space to this idea of democracy that we've, that we've been able to apply to the political world and really create a better world much more rapidly than um, we could otherwise imagine. And when you say, Dr. Jones, though, if we were only aware, what has created, what has allowed us to become unaware? <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole, the whole system is set up to kind of keep us unaware. Uh, mm -hmm. So as consumers, when we're getting information about our products, when we're being taught how to be consumers, you know, what we see is mostly advertising. Mm -hmm. And advertising is set up, you know, to have you buy this product instead of that product to kind of emphasize the wonderful colors and flavors and, you know, the, the innovative design. And, and these are kind of wonderful and, and important things, but they're not the most important. They are secondary. And they're secondary, I think, to us, if we look inside ourselves, we understand very clearly that they're secondary to things like human rights and social justice and the environment and all of these things that we hold dearly. And we don't understand that these other things are eroding those kind of primary values that we have. Now, just like in the political realm, at least in the U.S., you know, political advertising is the main form of information that we have to access who to vote for. And outside of that, we have the media. And of course, the media has its own dynamics, which is, you know, if a candidate stumbles in one direction, you know, that makes media or candidates understand how to use the media in their favor. Um, and in the corporate realm, what happens is the media, which should be there to have a check in this, in this area, you know, they want to make store or create stories that people will pay attention to because they have a bottom line as well. So if Walmart does something good, that's a story. If Ben and Jerry's does something bad, that's a story. But if Ben and Jerry's is doing the same good thing over and over again, that's not a story. Mm. And if Walmart is bad over and over again, that's not a story. So what, what floats to the top of the media agenda is 
very different than just the raw data, like what is actually happening on the ground. In fact, it's, it's the exception that shows up in the media. And so what we're left with is it's, it's not surprising that we that we don't understand what's what's going on because we don't have a system of understanding it. And even for myself, and I've spent maybe two decades now in this area doing this work, it is still difficult for me, wow. full time investigating this stuff to find the information, and then organize it and then make sense of it. And if I'm having trouble, right, wow. being maybe one of the most informed people in this in this area in this field then I can't imagine what it's like for, for the average person to try to navigate this space. And I know that so many people out there want to. They want to make their dollars meaningful and they want to make their dollars create a better world. And that's exactly why I wanted you on, Dr. Jones, because here is a resource, Better World Shopper, that when the system depends on making the consumer unaware, Here's a guide that allows you to get some grasp of what is really going on beneath the surface. Dr. Jones, how do you, I mean, obviously in your Better World Shopper Guide, you talk about companies of which, which you rank, American Airlines, you know, Nike, the Walmarts, the big companies. Have you had any backlash? Because this is obviously a work that you want to contribute to the world and make the world aware as consumers. Have you had backlash from these companies saying, who the hell do you think you are coming, talking about us? A little bit, but I have to say less than you might expect. Um, first of all, while I w you know, was often anxious about this idea of like, mm -hmm. wow, you know, I am one person mm -hmm. and now I've just you know, documented 50 terrible things about Walmart or ExxonMobil or yeah. uh, you know, Kraft, you know, and, and these are enormous. These are some of the most powerful institutions in the world this kind of criticism is probably not going to play well. Um, in fact, what I found is a, is a couple of things. First of all, most of the feedback I get is from the smaller companies who I recognize the good work they're doing, and they come back to me and they are surprised and say, I'm so glad that we've shown up for you as one of the, these good companies because we're really trying and we don't know if that's counting. And we can see that it's finally counting, right? We can see that we're being recognized. So that's, I think, gratifying for them and gratifying for me to hear from them. Um, second, I think that uh, at some level, um, these companies understand that a lot of this is about brand image. And there's nothing worse for your brand image than if you were to be kind of taken public as, as, as a company that is trying to, um, you know, squash this idea of ethical consumerism. In fact, uh, it, it would be terrible for, for a company's uh, image. And so every now and then I get backlash, you know, I've heard back from everybody from, oh, let's see, Nestle to uh, Coca-Cola to, um, oh, a handful of these, these larger companies. Most of the time what they say to me is, I think you've got us wrong. Um, and here is our, for example, our annual report, which we generate every year on our own sustainability or our own responsibility. Yeah. And if you read this 250 page report that we generated this year on ourselves, you'll see how much wonderful things we're doing. Right. And of course, every company ever since the, the late eighties, uh, every fortune 500 company generates one of these reports. And if you read them, you would think that these companies mm -hmm. are saving the world. 
But in fact, the data on the ground is different than what they write about themselves. Much like if you write your own resume, you're going to highlight all the wonderful things you do, not all the terrible, awful <laughs> things that you may do or have done. So um, that's one. And the other is sometimes I'm engaged um, by companies who really would like to receive more credit for different things they're doing. And I'm completely open with them. I say, here is the data that I have on you. Let me know if there are any errors, first of all. Secondly, if you have data you would like to contribute, um, please let me know. Uh, it, can't be, it cannot be data from your company. I don't take any data from companies themselves. It's all third-party data. And I'll have to go out and verify the third-party source and verify how kind of uh, comprehensive it, it is, how kind of thoughtful the, the research process was, et cetera. And if it passes all of these tests, I will include it in my own database. Now, I have yet to ever receive uh, data from one of these large companies that I then uh, have actually included in my database, but I'm totally open to it. And uh, only a handful of cases have they actually sent in um, um, small bits of data that they thought were worth including, but turned out to be um, uh, not passing most of the tests that, that I have for all of my other sources of data. So that's a mammoth worth of work. I mean collecting the data, verifying the data, going back and saying, well, this is what I've got. Any errors come back to me based on who are the third parties? Are they, are they just regular folk like yourself who just do research on companies? Is that how their data works? So most of these third parties are nonprofit organizations oh. and they're often having, you know, some, a part of their organization focus on something in particular around corporations. So I'll give you an example. Greenpeace does wonderful activist work, but may not be the best source of information on companies writ large, does a couple of things very well. One is they, they understand the environmental, uh, they have a research division that understands and looks at very carefully the environmental impacts of electronics. Mm. And, and their research is incredibly detailed and up to date, and they come out with these yearly electronic reports. They cover, I think, maybe 10 to 20 electronics companies, and they do that piece very well. They also do a very good job at rating the sustainability of supermarket um, seafood. And again, these are very specific things that they do. Now, all of the other stuff that Greenpeace does is wonderful, but it doesn't work for the database. It doesn't kind of pass the tests, et cetera. And so each, each nonprofit has this little piece of the puzzle out there. And often it's not the, the one thing that they do, it's often a part of what they do. And what I do is I pull all these pieces of the puzzle together to try to create this more comprehensive picture so that we can get the best available data uh, around everything from um, you know, the, uh, the sustainability of the seafood we're eating to the you know, polluting factors of the, of the laptops we're buying to you know, um, the, the uh, fairness of the coffee the, mm. and the child labor policies of the chocolate we're eating, like all of that has to be kind of assembled um, from these various groups and, and then um, kind of looked at as a kind of whole to, to, to be able to grade these companies from, in my system, from A to F. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So uh, doing all this work and creating such a change, how do you, Dr. Jones, monetize? Because you said before you're not a not-for-profit. But people right. donate anyway because they just feel so strongly about the work that you're doing and the benefit it is making. How do you, what are the channels of monetization? So that's a good question. So um, the main channel that I have are, is the production of these Better World Shopping Guides. 
So early on, I found a publisher. It was the publisher that actually published my original book, The Better World Handbook. Royalties from the publisher, but more important than that was when I created the website, which was always a part of this process, was understanding that I needed to get this work out there for free as well. Mm. When I created the website, I have links on the website to allow you to purchase the book directly from me. And I get the book from the publisher, uh, and then I send the books out to the people who purchase them from me. So an important part was allowing people to purchase the books directly from me, in which I could take books at cost, more or less, from the publisher. And I would buy large quantities from the publisher to get the, the best discount. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that allowed me both to uh, sell books to the public uh, and it also allowed me, because I had room to move, it allowed me to discount larger and larger quantities of books. So as people bought more, they had larger discounts. Yeah. More than that, I was, um, it was so important, particularly early on, for me to find nonprofit groups and um, churches, in fact, that were interested, um, really interested in having my books at their organizational workshops and meetings and bake sales and fundraising events. Uh, sometimes they would hand them out for free. Sometimes they would use them as fundraisers. And what I would do is basically sell them in quantities of usually 10 or more, um, and sometimes hundreds at a time, more or less at cost to me, okay. um, with just the very kind of smallest amount of difference to cover shipping and a, a number of other things. And by them buying these large quantities and being able to use them as fundraisers for themselves, they were able to get the word out about the book mm -hmm. and also find something in it for themselves. So it became, in a sense, something that they could generate funds from that they felt good about. And for me, it got the word out. Mm -hmm. And so that would help kind of sales in other areas. And I, and I have to say, this is what I've always believed um, in this arena. And I am by no means an expert. Uh, is that you offer people something useful for free first. And once they realize how useful it is, then they're interested in getting the other parts mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. So like when I made up my business cards originally for this work, the cards themselves were more or less a chart. In this case was uh, gasoline stations, a quick A to F guide in color, of gasoline stations that you put in your pocket. So every time you were driving and you had a choice between a couple of gas stations nearby, you pull out the card and you say, oh, good, I found one, and this is a B plus, and that one's an F, so I'm going to gas up over wow. here. And they found that useful. And, of mm -hmm. course, they, they're business cards, so you give them away for free. And, you know, that made people think, hey, this is really good stuff. This is useful stuff. And the website is free, and you can see the data for free. And so as they see, wow, this is legitimate. This is thoughtful. This is you know, important, I think the two things that happened are people want to find out more and purchase the book and, uh, and, and donate sometimes to uh, the organization itself. Um, it allows them um, uh, to just trust more because mm. you are trusting them. Yeah. Like with, with the work that you're doing, you give it to them to say, I trust you to do the right thing. And then they come back and feel like, well, I trust this guy is probably doing the right thing and I want to support what he's doing. Fantastic. And you also have apps as well that people can purchase. That's so, yeah. 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 So originally, 
um, uh, maybe in 2006, 2007, I came out with the first app. It was just for iPhone called Better World Shopper. And it allowed people basically to have it in their pocket, right? More or less, not the whole shopping guide because it doesn't have quite the detail. It was very handy for people to go from aisle to aisle and look up a brand in front of them and be able to see, you know, oh, wait, I need soda. Here we go. Let's figure out, you know, what soda I will get. Um, and I have just revamped that app and from the bottom up. So it is completely updated. It is totally new, has loads of information now, has a totally new interface. And I've decided at this point with this early version of the app to offer it for free. So now people don't have to buy it. It is free for the iPhone. And just today, um, I'm, I don't know if it's gone through the, the store yet today with this change, but um, it, it is free as of this morning on Android phones as well. Wow. Uh, so um, if any, anybody is interested, they can go and look up on their phone, um, Android or iOS, Better World Shopper, and that app is there now for free. And I may end up, the idea is that later, I may have some parts of the app that are in-app purchases that will help to kind of monetize that app. But again, you know, going along with my uh, original philosophy around this, you start by offering it for free. You start by allowing people to see the work and understand the value it has. And then after they understand the value, then you, you um, ask them to give a little bit to access a little bit more. Excellent. Excellent. And what I find really interesting, Dr. Jones, is that, you don't even have a database of people that you tell this about. I mean, people have. I mean, those churches, those people who have used Better World Shopper for fundraising, for using it for their own benefit. How did those initial people find out about you? See, I, you know, I'll be very honest. I, I, I'm kind of a terrible marketer in some ways. <laughs> you know, I don't do any of the right things, and I think I'd be much more successful if I did. But you know, this was mostly word of mouth. So I had a student whose father was very involved in his, his church and he um, decided that this was very exciting and that he was very interested. And he had asked me, you know, if, if it would be worthwhile if he and I could work together to organize this whole network of churches together um, yeah. to help push this uh, Better World Shopping Guide out there because it so worked with with their mission, and, and I said yes, and there was another organization. Um, so this was like the Unitarian Universalist Churches uh, 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 in California it started as, and then there was an organization called the Pachamama Alliance, and I had been to one of their workshops at some point, and I met somebody else who had a connection with them, and they just loved the book, they just loved it, and so I made sure um, to set up something that would make it kind of really, really work their, worth their while and very much work for them. Um, and it's those organizations and that word of mouth and those connections that has ultimately helped drive the book. I did the same thing with co-ops. I had a local co-op that I shopped at and, you know, I asked them if they'd be willing to have a little table for the book for a while. And somebody got excited, so excited about it that they wanted to pass it on to the network of co-ops around the U.S. And so, you know, out of this, the book is closing in on 200,000 copies sold uh, at this point. And again, this is not something that I keep very good track of. Um, but all of this has been really without much advertising at all outside of just, you know, offering a website and an app and a book. 
That's, that's absolutely incredible. It's just been word of mouth because really it involves everyone, everyone who buys anything. It involves the consumer. What's next for you, Dr. Jones? I mean, you've created a guide that was really initiated by questions and you've molded that and you've used your creativity to help people with business cards as they're looking for petrol stations and whatnot and use that listening skill to mold and craft the actual Better World Shopper Guide. What's, is there anything in the works for you that's coming up based on this or beyond? Certainly. And I, I think we, the other thing that is really important with this work is that it can never be static and you can't ever stick, you know, uh, and become kind of um, married to a particular way of communicating. So the book, well, the website in, in a sense gave birth to the book and the book gave birth to the app and, 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 and so this process needs to kind of keep moving forward. And along those lines, I'm working right now on a Better World Shopper certification for companies to use, to put right on the product. I mean, the, the one thing that I truly believe in is that there are so many good out ideas out there, but they never test it. Uh, they never, people never put them themselves in the shoes of the average person enough to really get what it's like. And so, for example, every couple of years when I revise the shopping guide, I have a group of volunteers that go, goes into supermarkets or different parts of the country to take the, the, the shopping guide in and see what brands still exist and don't exist and what new brands have shown up because I want it to work on the ground. I, I don't want it to work theoretically. I want it to work in the real world. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will often have my students test out you know, other resources from other organizations that are supposed to help people. And many of them fail because no one has ever, they're beautifully designed, very thoughtful, and they look like they should work. And people do stick them in their pockets. But for example, um, the Monterey Bay Aquarium puts out these wonderful pocket seafood guides for sustainable seafood. Fits right in your wallet, beautiful. They have it for each area of the country in the U.S., wonderful. You get, you sit down in a restaurant, you go to the deli section of the supermarket and it fails. It completely fails. They had no student have success with it. And it's because they never got the sense of what information is available to somebody sitting down at a restaurant working with the wait staff. Mm. The wait staff are not experts. They're not the middlemen and the buyers and the purchasers. And the, they don't have this information. And the deli person behind the counter only has this much information. So you need to access people exactly where they're at. And so making it easier and more accessible uh, and, and available in more ways is a huge part of this process. So one is certifying because then you don't even have to have the book or the app or anything else. Yeah. The mark is on the product. Um, so that's one uh, way in which I am um, moving forward with this. Two other ways, I'm in the middle of completely overhauling the website, very much like the app, to make it much more user-friendly, to make it uh, much more simple to kind of access each of these uh, company ratings, et cetera. Uh, and finally, and this is a little bit longer term, I'm working on a book and app uh, and for the website, basically a series of report cards so that you could click on any company and you could get a detailed report card of all of the kind of wonderful and questionable things that company is doing. Mm -hmm. And you could then maybe click immediately over and say, I'm going to communicate with this company about this because I usually buy their chocolate or I usually buy their coffee, but now I'm going to buy somewhere else so that you can, you can create this more seamless system that starts to look a little more like 
the political system in which you communicate with the representatives to tell them, I like that you're doing this. I don't like what you're doing oh. here. Please explain to me why you're doing this and how you might do it better. So it's that mapping back to that political version of democracy that is that long-term vision of this project. I love that, Dr. Jones, because it's not about calling out companies. It's not the intention. The intention mm -hmm. is just to make people aware quite sincerely. Yeah. And that that's how you want to have it communicated to the... I, that's an awesome idea, truly awesome, to have that two-way communication. Uh, and so obviously you said your work is updated every two years. Is that so the book, the book is updated every two years. The new edition of the book comes out. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, a website is updated whenever I get a chance to update the website. So, um, um, you know, on and off every year or so. The app is where all of the kind of constant updating is maintained. So if you want kind of the latest rankings, and they don't change radically, but they do change. Um, uh, the app is, is always your kind of go-to. And if there's ever a discrepancy, uh, you know, oh, that's a B plus, but that's a B, it's always the app that is, is the, the latest and greatest uh, uh, in its, um, its grading. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Jones. And in a society where we're sort of becoming so more uh, in tune with organic food and uh, farmer's markets and homeschooling or unschooling or all that kind of stuff, I just was reading my friend was teaching her four and a half year old had to do um, EFT, the tapping exercises. To, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a society which we're become, trying to become more aware and definitely your book plays a huge role in getting, like you say, to vote with your wallet every single day, each time you make a purchase. I just want to sincerely thank you, Dr. Jones, for taking the time out and explaining the concept behind this remarkable guide that gives us an insight and awareness as to how to actually spend our dollars. And for folks listening, to check it out, it's betterworldshopper.org. Shopper is spelled C-H-O-P-P-E-R.org. Dr. Jones, it's been my pleasure. Are there any final words that you would add that you would, uh, having worked with obviously college grads and college students, uh, and this being a huge passion of yours, are there any words of wisdom that you would share for, to people who would, are looking to find what something is that they could occupy their time that really gravitates to them? What advice would you give? Well, you know, each of us, I think, is born with a unique combination of experience and traits that allows us to see something in the world that nobody else sees in quite the same way. And I think that you really need to follow that sense and look for those, what I sometimes will call holes in the world mm -hmm. that need to be filled and that other people have a sense for, but they don't feel the draw the same way you feel. Mm -hmm. They don't feel that drive that this really needs to be done. This needs to be fixed. And when you can see that clearer than anyone else, you use that, you take that and use that as um, kind of your energy source and you persist and you become very creative and innovative and you try to achieve that goal in any way possible and in ways that you discard your own ideas all the time mm -hmm. and you listen and you listen to other people and you put yourself in their shoes. And if you do that enough, if you stick with it long enough and you forgive yourself along the way a lot, um, I think that 
you know, you will find that you have a wonderful contribution to make that may not have been the one you originally imagined that you were going to make, but is actually the one that in some ways you were meant to. I love that. Look for the holes. And if you're drawn to that, make the, see the things that you're, you're seeing it differently from everybody else and contribute to that. Do you sometimes just feel like just giving up, Dr. Jones? Like, oh, look, I've got a family, man. I've got a kids. I've already got a job. I mean, <laughs> somebody else look out. Like, as you were saying, I'd love to give this to a department, you know, a bigger body to look after. Is it, Certainly. Do you just feel like, oh, you know, come on. I did my bit. I did my bit for humanity. Certainly, yeah. Sometimes I feel like that. But I have to say, um, you know, that's what's so gratifying is that you get an, I get an email or somebody writes a check. It doesn't even matter the size of the check, mm. you know, and I just feel so moved mm. that, you know, somebody was touched by the work that much. And it makes me feel like, you know what, somebody has got to do this work. It's, mm. it's really reaching out. And so if it's me, then it's me mm. like for now. And I will do this, you know, as long as it's out there, and making a difference for people in a meaningful way. I feel like that is such a kind of blessing and an honor mm. to be able to do that for people. So, you know, I do, I feel discouraged sometimes and it gets overwhelming, et cetera. But when those moments come, you know, it just re-energizes me. And I feel like I am so lucky. I'm so lucky to be able to do this work that, uh, that contributes in some way to other people. So that, that keeps me going night and day. Beautiful. Dr. Jones, thank you so, so much sincerely for joining us and sharing your wisdom and your work on Monetize Your Mission. Truly appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And folks, we'll see you real soon on the next episode of Monetize Your Mission. Catch you soon.